Father, we thank you uh, for your grace and goodness towards us that you have shown us in Christ Jesus. We thank you that in Christ we've been adopted as your children, that we have the, the full hope of an inheritance laid up for us in glory, and that we have the blessing of the body of Christ here and now. And pray, Father, that as we seek together to grow in our understanding of your word, uh, that you would help us to do so. Lord, that by your Holy Spirit we would not just understand uh, the truth, but that we would find it beautiful and, and wonderful, that we would see uh, the glory of uh, this gift that you have given us in your word. And pray that you would do this uh, for the good of your people and for the glory of your name. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we've been uh, working through the Second London Baptist Confession of Faith, also known as the 1689, just a, just a reminder, we're looking at it uh, as a, a possible uh, doctrinal statement for us to adopt, and our goal has been to work through it and to see if these things are true, if these things are biblical, because our ultimate authority to determine what is good, right, and true is God's Word. And so we want to uh, work through it, uh, look at it, uh, uh, think through it. And so the first chapter that we've been working through is on the doctrine of Scripture, which is a good place to start, right? Because all other true statements that we look at will, uh, uh, should uh, flow back to Scripture. And so we, if we have a faulty understanding of the doctrine of Scripture, we start off already on the wrong foot. And so, uh, so far we've looked at the necessity of Scripture, that in God's word uh, is the only place where we will find his special revelation. Uh, general revelation is not enough to uh, share the gospel with us, to save us. But in scripture we find a full and complete sufficient word of God that is able to save us and to make the man of God complete. We also looked at uh, last week the canon of scripture. That is which books are included and which ones are not. And so Pastor Brennan uh, went through how uh, we've come to have the 66 books that we have, uh, why we don't believe the Apocrypha is part of the Bible, uh, why we don't believe the book of who's it, what's it from, who's it, where's it is included. Um, and just as a side note, if you're ever interested, it's actually quite interesting to look at the so-called Book of Thomas. Uh, don't be afraid to look at it because you look at it and it's, it's crazy. It's, it's, it's absolutely clear that this is not the Word of God, and so we don't need to be fearful of, of looking at those sorts of things. This morning, we're going to uh, transition. So we looked at the canon of Scripture. Uh, this morning, closely related, we're going to look at the authority of Scripture. And we're going to seek to answer two questions. These questions are uh, related to one another. Uh, but the first question is, how do we know that the Bible is authoritative? And closely related to that, the second question we're going to look at is how do we know that the Bible is the Word of God? Those are very important questions, questions that often people have. How do we know that these 66 books are the Word of God? And this is very embarrassing. I forgot my Bible. Thankfully, we have these. How do we know that these 66 books are the Word of God? How do we know that these 66 books are authoritative? And so, uh, first, we're going to look at the source of Scripture's authority. The source of Scripture's authority. What makes these 66 books authoritative uh, in our life? 
what grants them the authority that they have. First of all, let's look at uh, the Roman Catholic view of that. Uh, this is a quote from a uh, Roman Catholic author that I, I think helps summarize the position. He states, We know the Bible is the word of God because the church has cons- uh, consistently taught that it is. And we have the promise of Jesus himself that he would preserve the church from error on matters of faith and morality. He continues on, Therefore, it was the church, through the authority entrusted to it by Christ, that determined the canon, the rule, or list of inspired books of Scripture. This process took more than three centuries and was finally resolved at the Council of Hippo in AD uh, 393. And so, uh, what we have here, uh, wh- where does, um, how do we know that the Bible is authoritative? How do in their case, they would have more than 66 books. But how do we know that the books of the Bible are authoritative? They would say, because of the church's authority. The church's authority, and in this case, that would be talking about the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, the church's authority grants... Scripture's authority. And they add in there that uh, the church's authority comes from Christ. Right? And so, what determines, according to the Roman Catholic view, what determines what is the canon, what books are included, and which ones are not, they would say, the answer that they would say ultimately is the church. That the church in this case, the Roman Catholic Church has the authority to determine what is Scripture and what is not Scripture. Okay? So that's the Roman Catholic view. What is implied if the authority of Scripture is dependent on another authority? That scripture is not the authority. That Well, it is an authority, right? But what kind of authority? It's submissive to this authority, right? That, that this authority has a real authority, but the church's authority determines scripture's authority. Okay? That's problematic because, and, and I don't think Roman Catholics would say this, but what is implied by that is that this authority is higher than this authority. And you couple in that the fact that the church also has the authority, is the ultimate authority, to determine what this says, to interpret it. This is an authority higher. The church's authority is a higher authority than Scripture's authority. And so, for instance, um, let's say you, you have a new job. You're working at Walmart. And you don't know what's going on. It's a big place. And uh, it's your first day. And um, someone tells you, hey, listen to this guy. He, he's the authority over you. And you say, well, well, how do you know that? How do you know that he's the authority over me? How do I know that, that you can be trusted? And the guy replies, uh, he's authoritative because I say that he's authoritative. That implies something, right? It implies that whoever this guy that you're talking to has authority higher than the other person, 
right? Because he's the one that determines whether or not this person is authoritative or not. So he has to be an authority higher than that uh, person. And so uh, this kind of um, uh, rubs up against the question of ultimate authority. We've talked about it this before last year when we looked at worldview sorts of things. Everybody has an ultimate authority, how you ultimately decide what is good and true and right. Uh, and so, um, so for instance, if I say, what color is this? You need to get your eyes checked. <laughs> Thank you. Yellow. <laughs> yellow. How do you know that this is yellow? Apparently, w one person doesn't know. <laughs> How do you know that this is yellow? Yeah, you can see it. Your senses, right? <laughs> so the way that you determined that this was yellow was your senses. Now, are, do your senses have a real authority to determine what's true? Yeah, that's a real authority, right? How do you know that your senses are a real authority to determine that this is yellow? What's your basis for that? Okay, so then you're appealing to another authority, maybe your parents. How do you know that your parents uh, are able to? Okay. Okay, so that. <laughs> but but let me. Uh, what I'm asking is, how do you know what you can see, regardless of the names that we call it, right? Because in Spanish they would call it something different, but, but it's all yellow, right? How do you know that your senses, your ability to see things is a good authority to determine that this is yellow? <laughs> okay. But, so then experience now Experience now is a higher authority for you than senses, okay? How do you know that your experience is a reliable indicator of what, that your senses are reliable? <laughs> I would say, so we kind of went on, a, we did go on a rabbit trail. This is yellow. How do you know? Your senses. How do you know? You keep appealing to higher authorities, right? At some point, we need to have an ultimate authority. How do we know that our experience is reliable to uh, determine things that are true? For the Christian, our ultimate authority, the thing that we ultimately go to, is God. I know that my experience and my, my senses have a degree of authority because God has granted me with the ability to see, my ability to learn things, my ability to actually understand the world around me. God has granted that ability, and I know it's reliable to an extent because it's rooted in God's creation and how he's made things, right? And you look at scripture and the way that uh, uh, people view the world around them, you know, there is a degree of authority invested in our, our senses or our experience. But ultimately, that authority, I know that these things are true, that they have a degree of authority because of the authority of God. Okay? The unbeliever stops. Right? 
And really, they don't have any real basis for the authority of their experience or their senses. Because for all they know, it's just random chance. And uh, this might just be a big old illusion, and you're in a dream, and it's absurdity, right? If uh, There's no basis for them to say these things. And so we keep appealing to a higher authority, right? Now, that's what's going on here. People are trying to figure out where does Scripture's authority come from? How can I know that this is reliable? And they say, well, we'll just appeal to the church's authority. The problem is it begs the question, doesn't it? How do we know that the church is authoritative? Well, they say because uh, Christ uh, spoke to Peter, uh, and Peter is the first bishop of Rome, uh, which there's no evidence of that. But again, we would have to ask the question, well, how do you know that Christ said that? You keep going up. At some point, your ultimate authority, because if I keep appealing to something higher, that authority is a greater authority in my, my mind. Right? At some point, you have to reach a place where you get to your ultimate authority. The thing that everything else, all other authorities are based off of. And for the Christian, we know it's God and God's word. That is our ultimate authority, God's word. Well, then that begs the question, doesn't it? How do we know that God's word is the ultimate authority? Because it says it. And we'll get to that in a moment, right? How do, how do I know that God's word is the ultimate authority? Because God's word says it. Now, some would argue that that's circular reasoning. But you have to get to a place where you are reasoning circularly with an ultimate authority. Because anything else you appeal to then is your ultimate authority. And so, for instance, in this, you know, if, if I got, we got to this place where uh, this is yellow, how do I know because of my senses? How do I know my senses are reliable because of my experience? How do you know your experience is reliable? At some point, unless you're appealing to another authority, you would say, I know my experience is reliable because my experience is reliable. Right, Because if you say something else, then that thing actually is your ultimate authority. And so for the Christian, how do we know God's word is God's word? How do we know that it's authoritative? We know because it's God's word. Um, and that we'll dive into that a little bit more here in a moment. But looking at this, what is the relationship, the biblical relationship, between the authority of Scripture and the authority of the church? Is it this? Does the, the scripture, um, does the, the church determine the authority of scripture? It's the other way around, right? God's word determines the authority of the church. And the church has real authority. Just like the government has real authority and parents have real authority. But the ultimate authority is Scripture. Scripture sets the boundaries on the church's authority. Scripture is the thing that grants the church a degree of authority. Uh, because Scripture, God's Word, is the ultimate authority. And so going back to our guiding question, though, how do we know that the Bible is authoritative? Here's the answer given uh, by, by the Reformers, the, the Protestants. This is a paragraph uh, 1.4 of the Confession. The authority of the Holy Scripture 
for which it ought to believe dependeth not upon the testimony of any man or church. See, they're interacting with Roman Catholicism. It's not dependent on, on the church, the authority of Scripture. But wholly upon God, who is truth itself, the author thereof, therefore it is to be received because it is the Word of God. So what that is saying is, the authority of Scripture does not come from any man or church. It's not this. The authority of Scripture comes from the fact that it is the Word of God. The authority of Scripture comes from the fact of who wrote it. And so sort of the logical argument there you can see at the bottom of your page, the major premise is the Bible is the Word of God. Sorry for the typo there. The Bible is Word of God. You know the best time to proofread uh, your work? So you proofread it 100 times, and then you print out 50 copies of it, and then you read it. <laughs> You'll catch all your errors. Major premise, the Bible is the Word of God. Minor premise, God is the ultimate authority. The conclusion of that is the Bible is the ultimate authority because it is the Word of God, because God is the ultimate authority. And so, thinking about what God's Word says of itself, it is self-attesting. We, we drew this picture, right? God's Word is God's, we know it's God's Word because it says it's God's Word. And we see that throughout Scripture, that God's Word attests to itself the fact that it is God's Word. Second Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 21, we looked at last week, if I remember right. Uh, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The prophetic word of God that we have in Scripture ultimately has God as its author. 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. It's all of Scripture comes from the very mouth of God. That's what God's word says about itself. Uh, we could look elsewhere the many uh, New Testament quotations of the Old Testament, often uh, the, the writers will say, God said this, or the Holy Spirit said this. When it was actually, in the Old Testament, it was the words of David. But we see that uh, the Bible attributes those words to also being the very word of God. Uh, what about the New Testament? So those are all things regarding the Old Testament. Turn to Second Peter 3.15. We could spend more time looking at this, but this is just one passage that is helpful. How do we know that the New Testament, the apostolic word found in the New Testament is the word of God? Uh, Peter writes, and God writes, and 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. Here, Peter is talking about the words of Paul, 
And he puts Paul's words in the same category as Scripture, that it is God's Word. Paul's words are the very Word of God. That's how Peter viewed them, and that's how God attests to them. And so we want to be careful. We don't We want to be careful not to say we know that Scripture is authoritative because of some higher thing in our mind, because of some other thing. For the Roman Catholics, they said that we know Scripture has authority because the church has determined that authority. But there are other things that we can be tempted to do. What are some other ways that we might um, say or determine Uh, are a way of knowing that Scripture is God's Word. Ultimately, I should say. Okay. So I know that Scripture is God's Word because I feel it. Okay. Faith. Okay. Uh, we'll, We'll get to that. (laughs) wrong answers only (laughs) that's a good answer so feelings hopefully not everybody heard you know the the whole lesson wasn't spoiled there I'm just kidding feelings okay so extra revelation right no no And actually, ironically, you kind of see that with the Mormon church, right? How do you know that this is the Word of God, the burning in the bosom, right? I feel it, and this is a revelation from God to me that this is His Word, which we know is not. Okay, what else? Tradition, Tradition, which kind of connects to the Roman uh, Catholic view, right? The church has always believed that this is the Word of God. Now, does that have a role? Yes, and we'll, we'll get to that later. But it can't be our ultimate reason for believing that, that, that uh, Scripture is author- the authoritative Word of God. What about reason? Right? Um, looking through the confirmed prophecies, things that actually happened in history that were prophesied beforehand, or uh, looking at, hey, this is 66 books and they're consistent with one another, the same message by all these different authors through all of time. Now, is, are those things true? Yes. But, but can that be our ultimate authority to determine Scripture's authority? Our reason. Not our ultimate authority. Right? It has a place, but it can't be the, the, the foundation, the, the, our ultimate reason why we think that God's word is God's word. And I think what you see, we don't often think about what happens with the next generation, right? Because if, if my, my belief in Scripture's authority comes from my reason, and I'm teaching that, that this is the very basis for why you can believe that this is God's word is your reason, I'm elevating reason as the authority above God's word. And I might, in my time, still hold to the truths of Scripture, the hard things and all of that. But what about the next generation? If reason is the ultimate authority above God's Word, 
there are some things in God's Word that do not uh, seem reasonable. Right? And so if, if, if we've taught them that reason is the, the ultimate way you can know that this is God's Word, what is God's Word and what is not God's Word? Well, you get to the Trinity. It's not a contradiction, but three persons and one being, I cannot r- rationalize that. I cannot come up with a way that that makes sense in my mind. Well, if my ultimate authority is my own reason, I might be quick to ditch the Trinity and try to hold to everything else. And you think down the line, if feelings, I know that God's word is God's word, that it's authoritative because I feel it. Well, there are some passages in Scripture that do not feel good. Right? The Bible's teaching on homosexuality right now. We can see a generation that has been brought up with the idea that their feelings are the ultimate authority. And so when you get to something that does not feel good or does not feel loving, what happens? They jettison that and try to hold on to the rest of it. But they can't. Because they've already lost the the grounding for all of our faith, which is Scripture's authority. It's become a subordinate authority. And so, this matters. It matters how we answer this question. How do we know that God's Word is authoritative? Because it is the Word of God and it attests to itself that it is the Word of God. Well, that begs the question, though, still. How do we know that the Bible is the Word of God? How do I know that this is God's Word? I know it says that it's God's Word, but what, what basis, how do I, what do I rest in to know that this is God's Word? And that brings us to the proof of Scripture's authority, the proof of Scripture's authority. We'll see here in paragraph 1.5, they're going to first list off all of these things that are helpful evidences to the fact that the Bible is God's Word, but then we want to really pay attention to the conclusion here. So read along, listen with me, and then we'll, we'll dive into it. We may be moved and induced by the testimony of the church of God to a high and reverent esteem of the Holy Scriptures and the heavenliness of the matter, the efficacy of the doctrine, and the majesty of the style, the consent of all the parts, the scope of the whole, which is to give all glory to God, the full discovery it makes of the only way of man's salvation, and many other incomparable excellencies and entire perfections thereof are arguments whereby it does abundantly evidence itself to be the word of God. So what they're saying is there there are all these evidences that show that this is the word of God. The testimony of the church, uh, the, the content, uh, the fact that it's consistent in all of its parts, the fact that uh, it, it points all to the glory of God and not to man, all of these different things are evidences, yet notwithstanding, our full persuasion and assurance of the infallible truth and divine authority thereof is from the inward work of the Holy Spirit, bearing witness by and with the word in our hearts. No, it's not. <laughs> it sounds like it. The Holy Spirit, we don't want to... <laughs> our full... So we're going to dive into that last part, and then we'll go back to the beginning part. 
Our full persuasion and assurance that the Bible is the Word of God is the inward work of the Holy Spirit, bearing witness by and with the Word in our hearts. And so how do we know that the Bible, that these 66 books are the Word of God? First of all, the Word of God is self-evident. It is self-evident that this is the Word of God. Listen to this, John chapter 10. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. So there's, he's, he's doing these miraculous works. He's talking to these people. There's still unbelief. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. So he roots their disbelief in the fact that they are not his sheep. Verse 27, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. What I want you to notice is that key phrase that the sheep of God, the sheep of Christ, hear the voice of their shepherd, and they recognize the voice of their shepherd. You know, it's like um, when, you, when you're a kid playing outside, and your mom or your dad uh, calls you in for dinner, right? They say, Stephen. It's time for dinner. Well, how do I know that that's my mom's voice? Do I, you know, compare audio samplings of, you know, this recording with the recording from yesterday and look at the, the wavelengths of her voice to figure out that this is her voice? Do I sit and uh, question 10 different witnesses? Hey, was that my mom's voice? <laughs> and, and in trouble, <laughs> right? I know it's the voice of my mom. Why? Because it's the voice of my mom. I know my mom's voice. It's self-evident. I could do all of those things, and it would testify, give evidence that it is my mom's voice. But I know it's my mom's voice because it is my mom's voice, right? I, I know her voice. In like matter... Christ's sheep know his voice. When they hear his voice, they know it. This is the voice of my shepherd. We don't need to do a spectral analysis of his voice or whatever. I don't even know what a spectral analysis is. It sounds technological, though. We hear his voice, and we know it's his voice because he is our shepherd. It's self-evident. Calvin wrote this, dealing with the same sort of stuff with Roman Catholicism, as to their question, the Roman Catholics' question, how can we be assured that this has sprung from God, his word, unless we have recourse to the decree of the church? How can we know it's God's word unless we can uh, uh, hear from the church on the matter? It is as if someone asks, whence will we learn to distinguish light from darkness? It's like asking, how can we tell the difference between light and darkness? White from black, sweet from bitter, Indeed, Scripture exhibits fully as clear evidence of its own truth as white and black things do of their color or sweet and bitter things do of their taste. It's self-evident in the same way that it's self-evident that darkness and light are different. In the same way that sweet and bitter is different. It's self-evident in the things themselves. We know that the Word of God is the Word of God because it's self-evident that it is the Word of God. 
It's clear. That begs the question. If the Word of God is self-evident, why don't some people believe the Bible is the Word of God? Is it for lack of proof? What do you guys think? Why don't some people believe that the, word, the Bible is the Word of God? So it's spiritually discerned and, and, and the natural man does not understand, right? We'll look at that some more. What was that? Yeah. They're not Christ's sheep, right? And we see, ultimately, I mean, is it, is it for lack of proof? Does this not have enough proof, enough evidence that this is the word of God? Do, do, does the unbeliever need something more than this to, for them to know that this is the word of God? Is it a knowledge, a knowledge problem, an intellectual problem? No, it's a heart problem, a moral problem, right? And we see that in Romans. If, if you um, could turn there real quick. Romans chapter 1. We've, we've looked at this passage many times. It's very important in thinking about what is the state, uh, the natural state of man apart from the work of God. Paul writes, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For all know, although they knew God, they knew Him, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. We'll stop there. So this, this is talking about creation, right? That God is self-evident in creation. It's clear. But what's the problem? What does sinful man do with the truth of God that's in creation? Suppresses it in unrighteousness. We do not want this God to be our God. This God that is self-evident. And so, if God is self-evident, if, if the voice of God, as it were, in creation, is clearly perceived by men, how much more is the voice of God in His Word clearly perceived by men? It's clear. But again, what's the problem? Suppress the truth. I'm going to stick cotton balls in my ear. I do not want to hear this voice of God. I do not want this God as my God. And not that, you know, it's a conscious necessarily thing that's going on in their mind, but, but sin is holding down that truth. There's sin. And so, could we give them more evidence? Yes. There are other evidences that we'll see that, that point to this being the Word of God, but ultimately, what do they need? The Spirit to change their heart, right? They need to be born again before they can see the kingdom of God. And so, 
we'll get to what do we do in light of that here at the end. I'm getting ahead of myself. And so it's not for lack of proof. The unbeliever rejects the word of God as the word of God because of sin. Because of sin. And what, the, what we need is the Holy Spirit to show us what was there all along. 1 Corinthians, this passage was alluded to. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and then your notes there. Buzz, but as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things, it's talking about these gospel truths, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person, which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Listen to this, verse 14. The natural man, the person who, who hasn't been born again by the Spirit, the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And so ultimately, why, why do some people reject this as the Word of God, even though it's self-evident, it's because they need to be born again to be able to discern the things of God, to be able to accept the things of God. And how is that accomplished? Through the Spirit. And what the Spirit does is He shows us what was there all along. He doesn't add anything to Scripture. He doesn't reveal new things to us. He just opens our eyes to see what was self-evident all along. It's like if you were a blind man, to some degree you could discern this, but just for the sake of analogy, if you were a blind man, could you really, could you fully discern the difference between light and dark? I know you can still see light perhaps, but let's say you're completely blind, you can't even see light, okay? Could you, could you discern that difference? Is that difference still self-evident? Yes. What that person needs to be able to see what is self-evident is they need their eyes opened to be able to see what was there all along. And it's the same way with Scripture. It's self-evident that this is God's Word. It doesn't need anything more to prove it. It's clearly the voice of our Creator ringing through these words. But what a person needs is, is the eyes of their heart, so to speak, opened. That we were all once blind, but now we see. We see what was there all along, that this is the voice of our God, of our Father, of our Shepherd, and it's self-evident. It's self-evident. Now, with that in mind, is there corroborating evidence that this is God's Word? Yes, right? Just like I could run that whole, uh, I'm just going to keep using it, spectral analysis. You can correct me later, whatever that means. 
on my, on my mom's voice. And I could test it. And what would I find? That is my mom's voice, right? Do I, do I need that evidence? Is that evidence the, the basis of my belief that that's my mom's voice? No. But the evidence corroborates what is clear, what is self-evident. And so, what are some... What are some of these evidences? So in the confession, it includes the testimony of the church. And when it uses the word church there, it's talking about all Christians from all time, not, not the Roman Catholic Church. Well, yeah, we could add that in here. Fulfilled prophecy. Two L's? Thank you. California Public School Education. <laughs> what is that? Three, three. <laughs> You're messing with me. <laughs> now, uh, finish what I'm writing here. Cor- corroborating. I wasn't cheating. Corroborating evidence. Testimony of the church. If you have this whole history of Christians saying that these are the 66 books of the Bible, is that an evidence that this is God's word? Yes. It's a very valuable evidence, right? Because Christ's sheep have been hearing his voice through the ages. Christ's sheep through the ages have said, that this is the voice of our shepherd. And so that, that is an evidence. It's not the basis for our belief in God's word, as God's word, but it is a supporting, a, a corroborating evidence, fulfilled prophecy, right? That's amazing. You look through, and all, all the prophecies that have been fulfilled uh, in the Old Testament and in, in Christ, all the things that have come together, that attests to the fact that this is God's word. Because who else can say uh, what will happen in the future other than the one who controls the future, right? Uh, we have some other things there. What do you mean by that? Yeah. So all of creation attests, um, creation attests to the fact that God is God, right? Uh, yeah, no contradiction with what we find in Scripture. Okay, manuscriptural evidence. Let's us know that what we have today is what they had then. <laughs> I'll put it in small letters so you can't. <laughs> Ark. <laughs> Archaeological evidence. <laughs> I think I could have done it, but we'll never know. 
Yeah, that, that these sites talked about in Scripture are, are being found, that there's real cities and real people. Uh, they attest to the, the veracity of Scripture. Yeah, so you have, uh, are you talking about sort of the eyewitness accounts that, of people who actually saw Jesus? Yeah, yeah. So eyewitness accounts during the time of the, the New Testament. And really, we have those accounts too in, in Scripture, right, the Gospels. Yep, we, Historical accounts, which kind of like archaeology, it confirms that these are real people and Jesus was a real person. Donnie. Yeah, you're talking about kind of the grand story that's leading up to Christ with Moses doing his part and Yeah. Yeah, and so you have evidence within within uh, the, the the literature there that you have this one unfolding story that all of these people, uh, separated by time and place, are um, in agreement that they're consenting on these things, though they don't know each other, and they're all leading up to uh, Christ uh, as the pinnacle, all working together in a sense, though they were not working together. Because we know that God, as the author, was accomplishing this. And then you also have, uh, and the confession talks about, the fact that it gives all glory to God. That, for me, is, is a very important evidence. Because we talked about this at Connect Group last week. If you were to make your own religion, <laughs> and, and you were making the hero of your story, so to speak, how would you paint that hero? As a guy who lies about his wife and sells her out? Hey, great religion, buddy. Right? No, you wouldn't do that. You would want to whitewash your character. You would want him to appear better than he is. You would want to downplay the negative things because he's the hero, right? And we see that in any man-centered religion, all other religions are, which are man-centered. Mohammed's a great guy. No, he wasn't. You know, Buddha, these guys, his, history tells us the other side of the story, right? But they're painted in such a great light. But the Bible is very different. God's word time and time again shows us the depravity of man, the sinfulness of man, that we cannot be our own savior, that we cannot accomplish being made right with God through our own power, that we need God to actually come down and accomplish it for us. And God is the hero of the story. 
Yeah, we get it all. God does not hold any punches when he's, he's, he's describing these real things that happen. Because the point is for us to look to God. And the point is that he gets all the glory, which is fitting. Any other thoughts? Yeah, there's that consistency there. And this is actually something that uh, people often try to attack, right? And, I, and I, we can't get in it today, but if you ever have questions about this, where it seems like something conflicts in Scripture, I encourage you to ask the question, because there are answers, uh, that the Bible is consistent uh, with itself um, from Genesis to Revelation. Yep. Uh, Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that is unique. That the Bible has been preserved, it's been protected throughout the ages despite man's attempt to destroy it. That's a corroborating ev evidence. We might also say um, the confession talks about the efficacy of the doctrine. That, hey, what it teaches actually uh, works, as it were, that it it's, um, correlates with reality. Uh, the majesty of the style, um, and that it, fe it, it, it reveals the only way man can be saved. These are all also corroborating evidences. And so these are helpful, right? We don't want to downplay these, but at the same time, what is the role of these? Is this the basis of our faith that the Bible is the Word of God? It can't be. It can't be. Because the moment we do that, then we have supplanted God's word and its authority. The basis for our faith in the Bible as God's word is the fact that God's word declares that it's God's word and it is self-evident. It's clear. We don't need other evidence to prove it. And yet for the Christian, these help strengthen our faith in it. Right? They're helpful in that sense. That, that you know... It, if, if sometimes I have doubts, it's, it's not the worst thing to look to some of these things. But our full persuasion and assurance that the Bible is God's Word is because it is God's Word and the Spirit shows us uh, what is there. And that's not necessarily, you know, it doesn't accompany a feeling necessarily. You know, it's not the whole burning of the bo bosom of Mormonism, but you just know. Right? Not because I feel it, but I just know that this is the voice of God. And I know that because the Spirit has shown me what is there. Last two questions to wrap it up here. How does the self-attesting, self-evidencing nature of Scripture relate to how the canon was formed? Because we, we do really have men working in history, right? We really do have the Council 
uh, the councils, uh, what did, which council did he mention? Council of Hippo. There were real decisions made. How do those things relate? Yep, so they're, they're making a declaration of those things. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. 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 And so they did have, I think Pastor Brennan talked about it last week, some of those things. Was it written by an apostle or with the oversight of an apostle? Um, is it consistent with the rest of Scripture? And those things have their place, but ultimately the church recognized what was there, right? They didn't determine that this was the Bible in the sense that this is the Bible because they declared it. They are only eyewitnesses to the fact that it is the Bible, right? They were sheep like us who heard the voice of their shepherd. And as they got together and worked through it through ordinary sort of means, they came to the conclusion together as the church that this is God's word. And it's not God's word because they said it, but they said it because it is God's word. Does that make sense? Oh, let me say it again. It's not God's word because they said it. They said it because it is God's word. They saw what was self-evidencing, self-attesting. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And the last question, how can the self-attesting, self-evidencing nature of Scripture give us confidence in evangelism? Do we have to prove that this is God's Word to someone? No. It's self-evidencing. God's Word is clearly coming through it. What do those people need? Ears to hear. How are they given ears to hear the gospel and the Spirit's use of the gospel to make dead men alive? And so what is our job? Preach the gospel. To go out uh, to un all nations, to go out more for us to your neighbor, to the person, your friend, and just preach the gospel. Pray for the Spirit's work. The burden of proof does not fall on you. It's clear. The problem is a moral problem, not an intellectual problem. And that's solved only through the proclamation of the gospel and the saving work of the Holy Spirit. So that's what we commit ourselves to. And um, doesn't that, isn't that freeing? <laughs> Keep the main thing the main thing. And if they have questions, like legitimate questions, do we have answers? Yeah. Yeah, Mandy. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's been specially targeted throughout the ages, too, you know. Yeah. And it is the book that when 
got to make a decision. Is this God's word or is it? Mm. And then when you look at Christ, you've got to make another decision. That what they say, it demands, you know, what Christ has said and what the Bible teaches about Christ demands a verdict. You yeah. have to say either yes or no. Yeah. And even a non-answer is still no. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's go ahead and pray and join together in corporate worship. Father, we thank you for the gift of your word that it truly is sufficient, that it's not only sufficient to make the man of God complete, it's not only sufficient to save sinners, but it's sufficient to show itself as it is, the very word of God, that we don't need to uh, supplement it to prove it. We thank you that your voice uh, rings clear through every page of it. We thank you, Father, for uh, condescending, for, for stooping down to our level and speaking to us. That's, that's your grace. Lord, And we thank you for your voice and your word, that you lovingly tell us who we are, that we are Im- image bearers of you who have uh, fallen, who have sinned egregiously, who are marred and broken by sin, who are rebels against you. We thank you, Lord, for the revelation of your Son. You tell us that Christ became one of us, that he lived a perfect life for us, that he died the death that we deserve, that he rose conquering sin and death, that he ascended on high, that he's seated at your right hand right now, ruling and reigning. We thank you, Father, for the Son, that in him uh, we are being conformed into the image, the image of Christ, that which we were made for. Pray, Father, that you would give us a great confidence with your word, that we would uh, view it like the lion (laughs) that doesn't need protecting or defending, that we need only to let it out and do its work. Pray, Father, this morning that if there are any unbelievers in our midst, that you would use uh, your word to save sinners, that you would reveal to them their great need for Christ, that they would rest in Christ alone by the work of your spirit. Pray, Father, for for those who are believers, that you would use your powerful word, that we would love to hear the voice of our shepherd, that you would use your word to strengthen us, to mature us, to grow us into greater conformity uh, to your Son. We pray that you do all this, uh, that you would show your glory and ability to do so. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.